The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to the panel to screen. I'm Bo. And I'm Bell. Bell, man, how are you doing tonight, sir? Pretty good. A little bit of deja vu, but everything else seems fine. Yeah, deja vu. That's that, that's fine. That's fine. Look, we're 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 back at we're back at the saddle, man. We're back at the wheel. we we are podcasting again in the midst of a real world crisis. But you know what? Hopefully we are being able to provide some good content for folks uh to to, you know, enjoy themselves a little bit in the midst of everything that's going on. So uh, you know, like uh, this, this is going to be, I think, a really good one, too, because I think there is something cathartic about this series that we have engaged in here with the Rose Colored Retrospectives. For those not familiar, the Rose Colored uh, Retrospective is where we take a, a comic book movie that has not necessarily had the best track record or hasn't really been well received in the broad community of geeks and comic book movie fans. And we, we really go in and just look at what we love about it. We take what we don't talk about any of the criticism, whether or not it's warranted. We just don't go there. We just have fun with it and we just praise it and talk about what works. And yeah, like I said, that could be a cathartic experience, especially right now. I, I think so. And uh, and and as you tweeted earlier, that this movie kind of hits differently in 2020. It really does. We're going to dive <laughs> into it, man. This is going to be a fun one. But first, I want to get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. Uh, y'all, we've been doing this in a kind of a fun fashion. Every single Tuesday night, we've been doing some live tweeting of the various DCEU movies that we've been covering uh, over at, at Flash TV Talk on Twitter. You can join in on the fun by using the hashtag release the rose colored cut. Uh, as we go through the DCEU movies, and we've been taking turns at the helm, it's been fun, man. You, uh, Bell, you you got this last past week and uh, and had some fun on on the live tweeting. I did, yeah. It, it was it was a little fun experience there. I liked it. Uh, the uh, interaction with the fans was great as well. We had some some nice discussions going on there. See, that's uh, yeah. that's really good, man. Because that's that's what I love to see about this is you kind of go back and reopen some of these old uh, movies, you can kind of, you know, reopen some old discussions. And when you're coming from a posture that is a little bit more positive and less critical, you know, I think there's, it, it opens up whole new levels of discourse that can, that can happen. Uh, so join in on Tuesday nights. You can uh, uh, join us there at Flash TV Talk. And again, that's going to be at 7 o'clock Central Time is when we're starting the various movies. You can check our Facebook and our Twitter for the schedule. Also, you can join us. We are doing these podcasts live when the technology wants to work, which is 
fickle, <laughs> but theoretically we go live at five o'clock central time on Wednesday nights. Uh, also at flash TV talk, or you can join us over at Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash the real York. My channel there has got this thing going, man. Twitch has uh, also been great because of course we have been doing Flashcraft as kind of a fun summer series as well, where we have been recreating various DC uh, universe locations in the game Minecraft. Uh, we've got some videos out on YouTube. You can uh, just look for Flashcraft, all one word on YouTube to find those videos. Uh, you can also join us on our Twitch channels as well. If you want to join us during the streams, we got the, uh, the guys over at Legends TV Talk and we're opening it up to anyone that wants to join the server that's uh, a listener to the show or uh, if you want to contribute and be part of this, these builds, uh, we'd love to have you. Just DM us on Twitter and uh, yeah, we'll work and see if we can't uh, get, you, get you on there. All right, I think that is all the housekeeping items. Uh, Bell, can you think of anything else we need to talk about before we dive into this masterpiece that is known as Man of Steel? Oh, I don't think so. I think I think we got uh, I think we got it covered. All right, man. So, Man of Steel. Now, this is interesting, Bell. Before before we even touch this, um, you know, I want to I want to acknowledge something because we have been approaching the rose colored retrospectives. Even last week, we referred to the films that we're covering as the Snyderverse. But that is a bit of a controversial statement in and of itself. Uh, Zack Snyder has stated that he wants his films to really be seen as the Snyderverse as opposed to the DCEU at large, uh, whereas we are kind of treating them all as interconnected because, to be fair, you know, they are all interconnected, even the ones that, uh, you know, Snyder himself wouldn't necessarily consider part of his universe. Yeah, so that is an interesting take from him. I hadn't heard that before. So it's 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 like a pocket universe inside the DCEU that's also the DCEU. Exactly. It's kind of weird like that, but I will say this. I mean, this is the first, I suppose, of the true quote-unquote Snyderverse films from that standpoint. Um, and it's interesting because you, you can kind of see a little bit of a storyline that's being told when you look at it through that lens. Um, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of thrilled to dive in. I, you know, I, well, I think... I think- I think we should note at first that, that we're we're watching these in, in chronological order within the universe. So like Wonder Woman, that's why we watch that one first. Man of Steel is the second one that happens chronologically. So that that's kind of like, you know, if you're wondering that that's how we're watching them, which is which is uh, kind of it, 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 it's it sort of changes the the whole overall aesthetic, I think, of, of the Snyderverse if you if you do that uh, that way. But yes, this is the first this is the first movie and it was one, it was done by Zack Snyder, but it's the first Snyder movie that we've seen in this rose colored <laughs> retrospective. Exactly. If, that, if, that, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we just further complicated it. It's funny. Man, Probably. When this movie came out, it, it was, it was a challenging time for this movie uh, because you know, it was, it was right off the heels of Smallville, which was a very different take on, on Superman. And also, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, I think a lot of expectations were brought into this. I mean, you know, there's also the Superman returns, uh, you know, this was going to, you know, to some extent, try to attempt to, you know, quote unquote, course correct on the takes of Superman that have come before. And, you know, a lot of discussion at the time was about how they were going to, you know, make a Superman movie uh, relevant to to, I suppose, the then modern era. I think this movie was greatly ahead of its time, man. This movie feels much more like a 2020 disaster film. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's more ripe for the, uh, for, for the, for the modern, modern era, if you will. Yeah, it does have a completely different flavor. I think when, when watched in a a modern context, Uh, when the movie first came out, maybe it didn't resonate as much on some of those themes that we'll talk about, but uh, it definitely does now. 
And so, yeah, it's it's different and it's interesting uh, how that how just, you know, the passage of time can change the context of a movie. Exactly. The other thing, too, is expectations. And I mean, you know, regardless of whether or not fair or not, you went into this movie. Many people went into this movie expecting a Superman movie. This movie, Bell, is not called Superman. This, this Superman is not the title of this film. This film is called Man of Steel. And after rewatching this movie, it became very clear to me early on that the Man of Steel in reference here is not actually Clark Kent. It is not Kal-El. It is Jor-El. This is Jor-El's movie. When it all comes down to it, this is the story of Jor-El fighting to preserve the future of Krypton. And that is like the, the, the crux of it. I would actually argue, and, and not to jump ahead, but on occasion we try to take a movie in a rose-colored retrospective and like tweak one slight thing to, 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 I guess, correct it in history or something of that nature. And I mean, I think honestly this movie would have been better served had it been named Man of Tomorrow or Last Son of Krypton. Because in many respects those, at least those titles or what's implied by those titles is really what's being communicated in this film more than like a Superman movie. Because this is not a Superman movie. This is the, this is the, this is the story of Jarrell fighting for the future of Krypton. And through that lens, I got to tell you, man, I loved this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely get what you're saying with all the... Uh, the heavily, you know, heavy Jarrell themes and things like that. Um, I'd still say that it's a Superman movie, um, though. But it, it's, you know, it's 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 a different take on the Superman story. It's a more modern take on the Superman story, and um, yeah, I I feel like that's kind of um, important to understand and realize going into this. This is not christopher reeve this is not brandon routh's superman right this is this is a new superman or i mean yeah it's a new superman and there are other things in the movie like you're like you're mentioning this stuff with Jorel and the the saving of the kryptonian race um and all of these other things kind of like built into it it's well, exactly. not just a story about superman well exactly right and i mean there is kind of like a forget what you know and look at it through the lens of the story that's being told um, because you're right, there is a there is a nature of it being Superman for a modern era that's definitely uh, definitely there. There's a realism that comes along with this movie, even in the midst of kind of the fantastic elements. By the way, I, I got to talk about some of these fantastic elements because I remember even the first time I saw this movie, and one of the things I really appreciated, and I always get surprised by this, but this is always the, the case, is that Kryptonian technology seems to be very geological in nature. Right. Like there's always kind of a, a rock element or a metallic element that goes to or a crystallized element that goes to Kryptonian technology in almost every single iteration of or at least, you know, live action iteration of the character of the planet of the of the culture. And what I find fascinating is that in this movie, so much of it has to do with biology and genetics and that sort of thing. And so what they've done is they've really married the two. There is almost a there's like a there's like a a biological merger with geological like there there's the rocks are forming different things but even the shapes seem almost organic regardless of the fact the materials that make them up are anything but yeah so the the um display technology that they use is all like more uh, like metallic and organic and flowing you, you see it in some of the weapons that they use as well mm -hmm. um the 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 big geoengineering projects that they had done on krypton had rendered the surface like this sort of uh um sliced appearance almost but it right, still flows yeah. right it's it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not um you see some futuristic takes and there's a lot of like you know curves and 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 things like that and then others are more like brutalist where it's more 
um, flat edges and corners and whatnot. This this is more of the curved kind of aspect, but you're right. right. There's a lot of geological, um, naturalistic kind of stuff in there as well. Well, like the texture is geological, like, like the texture is very rock. And actually, you mentioned the, the communication stuff. To me, it kind of almost evoked... Uh, some similarities between that and also what we saw in uh, Black Panther with kind of Wakandan technology uh, forming different things. Uh, you know, like for example, the opening sequence of Black Panther where they're flying in and they've got the map that kind of pushes up uh, in kind of a metallic way, and some of the technology that Siri, Siri uh, uses as well. And I and I find it fascinating because both of these cultures are so associated with some form of element, right? Like for Wakanda, it's obviously vibranium. For Krypton, even though it's not necessarily kryptonite yet, it is because the fact that I think we we know that kryptonite's going to be a factor in the life of, you know, <laughs> Kryptonians post-Krypton, that there is something, you know, quote-unquote special about the uh, the makeup of the planet, that there is something about the metal or the crystals or what have you. Um, and so the fact that, that that's so incorporated in their technology, I, I always find very fascinating. Um, you know, we also get a, a look into, uh, we, we spend a lot of time on Krypton. The first almost, uh, it, it feels like almost the first third of the movie is, is really spent there getting to know Jarrell and we kind of get a, an exposure to what's going on. We see that there's this political uprising that is happening in the midst of, you know, the apocalypse and, and the two are kind of tied together. We know that Zod and Jarrell are, are, I, I don't want to even call them allies per se, but there, there's a they have like a loose allegiance, right? They both know that the world's going to end and that their council is, is leading them in the wrong direction, but they have very different philosophies beyond that. Right. They have the same goal, but they have different ways to get to that goal. I, you know, it's interesting. But, I don't, I don't even know if that's necessarily true. I mean, you could argue that they want to free Krypton from. They're like, both trying to save Krypton. Well, yeah. Right. But and they have and, a very and, different visions. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and Zod's vision is to continue with the codex and the planning of the society and the eugenics and all that kind of stuff, but take it to another world or whatever. Whereas uh, Jorel is like, no, it's 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 the freedom of choice, um, the freedom to, you know, make babies whenever you want. And that's going to be the future. But we got it, you know, and, 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 and we need to do it on another planet. Both of them think that and both of them realize that. But um, one of them wants to keep to the old ways and one of them realizes that the future is um, choice, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, which is great. Right. I mean, like on the one hand, you have like Jarell even says specifically, like we failed, like Kryptonians failed. We're all going to die. Um, you know, we everybody here is already dead, I think, is something that he says very, very early on. And then even his, you know, his, his digital consciousness later on in, in the movie acknowledges the fact that, you know, Krypton Krypton, you know, we, we failed. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's over for us. We, we, to some extent, we don't deserve to live, but at the same time, he also recognizes the value in his own people, especially embodied like literally and figuratively in his own son. Um, and so kind of letting almost setting his son up to make the decisions to, to set a new course for Krypton to, to be kind of this, you know, uh, great reformer of, you know, the, the narrative of Kryptonian lineage, not just in, in, in himself, but in the way in which the universe sees them, I think is, it's fascinating. And it's this beautiful vision of, of, uh, you know, of, of jor that ends up ultimately saving his son, but also, you know, uh, <laughs> as you say, is in direct opposition to a very intense general Zod. What, what did you think of this Zod, man? I like Michael Shannon. Uh, I think he did a great job as Zod. Um, his he he has the the, the perfect um, villain characteristic, which is <laughs> exactly. like I I have a goal, 
and um you know he's trying to save krypton he's trying to save his people and there's a you know a great scene at the end when he talks about like mm -hmm. my singular purpose was to save krypton and you've stolen my people from me you've stolen my soul right and so it's like you can't help but kind of be like yeah you know what he's trying the way he's trying to go about it is bad but his motivations are not evil right like his motivations are are, are pure in that he wants to save krypton he wants to save the kryptonian race it, ju it just so happens that there are these earthlings around that, that he doesn't really care for um and 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 that's kind of what you know gets in the way <laughs> and why superman has to step in and, and sort of be like nah 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 um so yeah he it's it, it's a it's a great villain i think he's a great character uh, they do a great job with him they you always want compelling villains and you always want a, a villain who uh, believes he is right uh, even when he's wrong uh, because i think that makes compelling villains and i think michael shannon and zod kind of like you know do a really great job portraying that yeah and you know the the singular vision thing i think is fascinating because if you think about what they were essentially doing on krypton it was almost like biological programming right like they were creating these individuals to be exactly what they needed to be for the society to function in a certain way. And yet in many respects, Zod and Jarrell both kind of rebel against that because they represent extremes of what was being created, right? Like Zod, as you point out, like he's still following his, you know, for all intents and purposes, his programming uh, and which would ultimately, you know, the, the, the only way to save humanity is to, to kill humanity. You know, that, that kind of like AI rebellion <laughs> type of mindset. <laughs> Whereas Jarrell, you know, he was, you know, as, as even his symbol represents, I mean, he was kind of the embodiment of hope and believing and, and finding better ways for a better future, a brighter ways for a better future. And so you almost kind of see these extremes causing the, re like a rebellion within its own biological programming that was the Kryptonian Codex. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Zod is all about eradicating the the weak bloodlines. He, he views that the politicians and the, and the people and the scientists or whatever that got them in that situation were weakness that he wanted to expunge from the Codex and create a new Krypton without that weakness. Whereas, you know, obviously Jarrell was essentially the exact opposite in that he didn't want to do anything with the Codex whatsoever. He thought that by limiting people like that, that was a weakness. And so they both kind of like, in, in a way, like want to get rid of the codex and or certain aspects of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just Zod wants to eradicate bloodlines, basically eugenics. Right. He wants to he wants to go ahead with eugenics and create a, a, a supreme, perfect Kryptonian race. Whereas Jarrell says, no, 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 we need we need to, like, stop this planning of our society and just let stuff happen because that will bring about change and, um, you know, create a, a, a better Krypton, better Kryptonian race. A better tomorrow. Yes. For a man of tomorrow. <laughs> I'm telling you, the man of tomorrow <laughs> would have really made much of a better better name for this movie. But, uh, but yeah, man. So, uh, you know, one of the things I, I really love about this, speaking of choice, is that in many respects, everything that goes down, Jarrell, it's Jarrell's plan. But in the end, he's not the one given the choice, right? Like it's Laura, it's her choice that ultimately is what sends uh, Clark out into the stars or Kal-El out into the stars. Um, you know, we even see her, her hesitation about this. She doesn't want to do it. She thought she was on board, but now, you know, that we're here, she's not so sure. Zod comes in, gets a little stabby stabby and <laughs> you know, she, you see her and there's kind of this question as to what she's going to do. And of course she does press the button. She does send him off into space down the river, uh, to his, his salvation at the detriment of, um, ultimately, you know, Jarrell, because again, stabby stabby. Yeah. 
I uh, I really liked the idea of of young Clark Kent. So so leaving leaving uh, Krypton. Any, any other thoughts though on Krypton before we leave Krypton? I think we about covered it. You know the the I mean there are modern parallels with what's going on in Krypton to like 2020. Uh, as far as you know, you have like this fascist um, uh, uprising sort of with uh, with Zod going on and like his eugenics to try to create a perfect race by expunging other bloodlines. And then you have, you know, Jor-El's resistance to that and sort of the government of Krypton just kind of like, eh, <laughs> just sort of sitting there not doing anything about it. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some commentary there that is weirdly prophetic. Un- unintentional commentary. And, and all, <laughs> yeah. all while, all while Bell, all while a, a global apocalypse, a planetary apocalypse is going on. <laughs> that yet again, the government is doing nothing about. <laughs> so, so granted like an extreme situation, but, but one that lands a little bit differently in 2020 <laughs> than it did in 2013. In, in, sure. in multiple ways, in multiple ways. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, man. So, all right. So leaving, Leaving Krypton, now we are headed to Smallville, right? And on Smallville, we get introduced to uh, a young Clark Kent. Now, this is interesting. There's a lot of stuff that, that goes on in these Smallville flashbacks sequences that I think are, are worth kind of diving into. The first thing that really stood out to me is thinking about how, you know, I think, I think as an audience, we always want to kind of like try to get in the mindset of Clark Kent. We want to get in the mindset of our hero, but what I really found fascinating was the opportunity to get in the mindset of the kids around him and the teachers around him. Like if this actually happened in your classroom, you might think you were dealing with essentially like an autistic kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, cause when he can hear everybody, when he's, when he's, you know, when he's trapped himself in the closet, uh, everybody's like, you know, a freak, he's a weirdo. Uh, his teachers are like worried about, you know, why he's acting like this. So yeah, there, there's definitely some kind of, you know, uh, at least amongst his peers, thinking that there's something wrong with him and that he's not normal and that there's, you know, and, and I guess, you know, technically he, he, he isn't normal, uh, <laughs> but it's not due to any sort of like, you know, mental deficiency or anything like that, that those kids might be uh, implying or insinuating with their jeers and teases. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of neat to sort of, to sort of see that from that aspect, right? Like from that, you, you, you look at it from Clark's point of view and, and from the kids who are reacting to him and whatnot, it's, it's sort of an interesting uh, scenario they've built there. And, and, and think about how that would impact a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a kid with all these extraordinary abilities and everybody else thinks he's weird. And, and cause you know, his foster dad doesn't want him to show anybody because of, of the reaction, the negative reaction that uh, comes about anytime he does show people his powers. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's a really neat way to kind of like dive into the psychology of what Clark Kent would, would be like growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's fascinating. And I think, um, you know, I, I think it really kind of brought things down to a more relatable level, which again, if we think back to 2013 and when this movie came out, it was so very close to Smallville, the, the series. And, and it was a very different take than what Smallville had on, you know, a young Clark Kent's experience that I think for many, like there just, there was just, I don't know if it was just the wrong expectations going in or just not ready for it or, or, you know, not, not ready to let go of, of what Smallville was, or, or even if that should be necessary, but one way or the other, I, I do, I think, think it's worth pointing out though there are actually a lot of like Smallville series references 
that are throughout this. Um, for one thing, the the jackets are very reminiscent of um, the the Smallville series jackets. Uh, Lana here, who I don't think she's ever named Lana, or at least not to her face. I believe she's wearing the same cardigan that the the Lana character on Smallville wear, <laughs> was wearing. Oh, really? Series. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in fact, even him saving the kids from the bus is very reminiscent of his first kind of showcasing or his first saving of somebody on the Smallville series. In, uh, in the television series, it was Lex Luthor in his car, which ran off the bridge. Uh, here, obviously, it's the bus that runs off the bridge. But I mean, it was very a lot of similarities there. Um, there was another thing, too, I noticed. Uh, there's a couple of different Smallville characters that actually popped up or rather actors from the Smallville series that popped up. One of which was the character that played Emil Hamilton on, um, on Smallville here. He's not like, we do have a Dr. Hamilton, but he is not playing him. He's just playing kind of a, an army dude. So it was great to see that. Uh, also there was a guy who I, I, I'm, I did not double check, but I feel very confident that this is the case. Uh, one of one of the Kryptonians, I believe, was portrayed by the same actor that played an evil clone mutant version of Lex from Smallville. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I can't confirm that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know you can't. I know you can't. But I just wanted to know how you were going to react when I said an evil mutant clone of Lex Luthor. <laughs> I mean, you know, bad guys got to play bad guys. You know, guys getting typecast. It's no it's no fun. I know. Right. No, it's 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 messed up. But no, I think. Uh, I, yeah, he, I'm pretty sure that was the same actor. So it was kind of fun to see that. Um, overall, man, the, the, uh, the casting in this film is insanely well done. Like almost every single actor and actress that's in this movie really brings something to their characters. Now it may be different from what you wanted the characters to be, but they really make the characters their own. I think that that's just the case and very, very true. Um, right. You know, all the way at the beginning with gladiator is Superman's dad, to uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Field of Dreams as his Earth dad. There's just there's a lot a lot of great casting choices in my opinion. Yeah, I, I really really enjoy Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he does an excellent job. I mean, he's got the physique. Uh, I, I mentioned in a tweet that he has a, a great Superman smile. Um, and you know, I I think I think he's he was born to play this role. He does a really really good job with it. Um, yeah. And you know, same thing with uh, um. Like Kevin Costner, like I, I feel like his uh, Jonathan Kent is is a good representation of what a modern take on Jonathan Kent would be, and I think he adds a lot to that role. Um, same thing with Martha, you know, yeah, she she's man. a she's a just salt of the earth kind of like you know, uh, great woman, and 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 she doesn't take a lot of crap, <laughs> especially <laughs> when she's got Kryptonian staring down her face, right? Like you know, it's uh it's really neat and, and of course lois is wonderful she she's got that take no guff kind of thing as well oh, amy adams uh, man. yeah absolutely yeah amy adams does a, does, a, does a great job uh portraying that uh it's just it's just really yeah you're, you're absolutely right they they do a great job um really taking ownership of this iteration this version of the character that they're playing that's right they make the characters their own and it really shows um you know we we get a chance you mentioned of course uh, cavill's physique uh, i think there is something about his presence um you know obviously early on we see the the dude pour beer on him and he's just sitting there and he's taking it right like <laughs> there's like you get the sense even without us knowing who clark kent is who who like who superman is and what he could actually do that's just not a dude you want to pour beer on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, 
even if he wasn't Kryptonian, he could exactly. destroy that guy. Exactly. That was just it was there was something about that that I found really, really like funny, but not in not in like a you know, not in a bad way, but in very much like a dude. Like, we know this guy can rip you in half, but you should at least know this guy can knock you into tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like Clark's like a foot taller than him, and he's got at least 100 pounds on him. And this guy's just like, going to pour beer on him. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Great no, idea. You know, one of the things that, that we saw, I can't remember who asked him how he died. It was probably, it was probably Clark. Um, but I was, I was thinking through this, and I was wondering whether or not Jarrell, the the consciousness was even aware of how his biological counterpart died. I think it would depend on when he created that copy of his consciousness. You think it was right after he got all stabby stabby. He's like, quick, Martha, plug this in. (laughs) I mean, maybe like, I don't, I I bet he doesn't know. I I bet he just assumes that Jarrell like human or not human, but, but you know, biological Jarrell died on Krypton. Yeah. my, My guess is that like, as they're making this preparations to, to send Cal off, he made a backup copy to put on the ship at that point. So he well, probably doesn't. It was in the key. It was in the key because that it was all tied to that physical key. Because every single time they plugged in that place. By the way, that's another thing from uh, Smallville as well. Is a lot of data is tied directly to the keys rather than the key unlocking anything. The data is typically inside the key uh, with Kryptonian technology in Smallville. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting that they kind of carried on that uh, similar use case. Uh, yeah, but but that's that's what I'm saying is like, you know, they, they put the key in the ship with Cal and I'm thinking that he made that copy of his consciousness at that moment. But he was stabby stabby. All right. Anyway, we'll see. We'll no, no, see. Before, before Zod showed up. Right. Like, that's there, what there I'm was... saying. So he doesn't know. He doesn't. Know. Right. 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 That's what I'm getting at. Is it? Yeah. Is it? I don't believe that that um, uh, Digidad, as I called him in the live tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think Digidad knows. Digidad, digital fathers. Digi- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Digidad, the digital father, does not know that... Um, Upgrade um, into ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he knows that Zod killed him. No. no. I, he I he knows right. that Zod was up to bad stuff and that Zod needed to be stopped. He did not know that Zod killed him. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I, I, that was, um, that's, that's interesting to me. I really, I really dug the, the dynamics there. And so, like I've already stated, like, I, really, I really feel like this is very much Jarrell's movie. Um, and so even, even post-mortem... Uh, we we see his plan coming to fruition. It is really kind of almost like his will is being lived out in that of of his son of Kal El of, of Clark. Um, and you know, I th- it made me think about some things. The way the way this movie treats Jarrell and the way this movie treats Jonathan, and it reminded me of commentary that came out very recently uh, from oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Dave Filoni. Uh, who's the the he's running a lot of the Star Wars television series and and that kind of thing. He's head of the Clone Wars. He's been uh, doing the Mandalorian along with John Favreau, and he was doing kind of a a commentary or discussing the Phantom Menace and specifically the battle, uh, the Duel of the Fates, and unpacking it from the concept of what's really being fought in that in that uh, in that duel. Have, have you heard this commentary track, man? No, I don't think so. All right, so it's it's really it's really good. I, I would really encourage people, you know, feel free to pause this and go go listen to it. But basically what his argument is is that the duel of the fates is really the duel of the universe because, you know, whatever the the fate of this duel is going to determine the outcome of the universe. Anakin is essentially at the point of being able to go one way or another. Um Qui-Gon is too tied to a certain way 
or rather uh, Obi-Wan is too tied to the kind of the, the more traditional path of the Jedi, which Anakin is not suited for. But Qui-Gon realizes that Anakin is not suited for that. So going in a more kind of pseudo reformed way would have set Anakin up as a hero as opposed to a villain. And so by Qui-Gon's death, you know, Obi-Wan is eventually set up as kind of this new, you know, kind of failed father figure, which ultimately sets Anakin up on the path to become Darth Vader. I'm butchering his commentary. I really recommend you go check it out. So just Google it. Yeah, just do a general Google search. You'll be able to find it. I, I highly recommend it. But here's here's why I make that reference. Because I kind of see in this dynamic between Jonathan and Jarrell, kind of that Obi-Wan Qui-Gon type of dynamic as to what they represent for Clark, for Kal-El. Like, I wonder, I mean, like if if... If Jonathan, kind of by comparison, had been the only father figure that Clark would have ever known, I wonder if he would have ever become Superman in this movie, in this universe. And that upsets people. I think, I think a lot of people picked up on this, and I think that that upset some people at the time because that's not what they want from Jonathan Kent, and that's certainly not what we got from Smallville. But regardless, you, I mean, this movie, you can't do that with this movie because that's not what this movie is about. If you look at it from the standpoint, again, you know, we've already kind of expressed at the top of the, the podcast about what our lenses were that we kind of went into this movie with um, in terms of, you know, you looking at it through a modern context, me looking at it through kind of Jarrell's vision. But, but regardless, I believe this movie is making the argument that in this universe, had Jonathan been the sole father figure for Clark, he would have never been Superman. He may have even, you know, quote unquote, turned to the dark side at some point. But fortunately, in this universe, Qui-Gon, quote-unquote, does come back. He, he comes back from the dead. So Jarrell is there to actually provide him the actual mentorship that he needs, which is something that I think, and I could be wrong here, I don't think we've ever really gotten that in a live-action take on Superman. Because Jarrell in the Donner films was very cold and calculated. He was a computer, Right. Like he was yeah. very cold and calculated in Smallville more often than not with, with, with a little bit of exception, but, but for the most part, like Jarrell is also very cold and calculated. In fact, Bell, I mean, you know, this is somewhat spoiler for you, but in Smallville in the television series, the voice actor they got to play him was the voice actor that, that or was the actor that played general Zod in the daughter films. <laughs> really? Yes. Like that's how like there is, there is, you don't make that choice. I mean, obviously there's, you know, some great fan service nature to do that. But, but the fact that you're getting his villain as the voice of the father figure just kind of further communicates that sense of cold detachment that Jarrell has represented in these films in the past. This movie, Bell, does the work of taking Jarrell, a live-action Jarrell, and making him into a hero, something that we've never seen before, a hero for his people, for his son, and for humanity. And I think that there is, you know, there is a natural aspect of that where, you know, again, there's, there's the Qui-Gon Obi-Wan relationship. I'm not saying that Jonathan, I, I compare Jonathan to Obi-Wan because both characters are not failures. You know what I mean? Like they, they're, they're not, they don't necessarily, they're not even supposed to necessarily represent failure, but they do fail the people. They, they do at times fail the people with, with whom they're in charge of, you know, guiding and growing and leading and all that kind of stuff. Um, Obi-Wan compared to Qui-Gon is a failed mentor. Uh, here, Jonathan compared to Jarrell 
is a failed father figure. Now, obviously that's not universally true. And I love that we actually get kind of a, a more complex Jonathan. He's not a, you know, the, this perfect father figure that we've gotten in other interpretations, but he's also not this perfect failure either. You know, we see the moments of him not knowing what to do and him trying to figure out even in the car bell, he acknowledges the fact that like, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe we aren't the perfect parents for you. We're figuring this out as we go along. Like he's giving the entire thesis for the existence of this character in this movie, in this reality. And I think it's done brilliantly because it plays directly into the way that it really establishes Jarrell as that, you know, for lack of a better term, perfect father figure as kind of this true father figure as this true hero for Clark and for Kal-El. And also, I mean, you, you got to look at the histories of these characters, right? Like, you know, Jorel was facing this worldwide crisis. He was trying to save his people. He, he believed, he hoped that Cal could be the unifying person to like bring Kryptonian and Earth society together in peace and harmony uh, for, for the best of both, uh, both, both species. Right. And Jonathan kind of grew up in a world where like, being different and you know obviously being an alien is something that is uh that 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 is not just generally looked on as a good thing by most of the of the populace right and so they that's that's kind of what framed how they wanted to handle clark or cal right, right. well and i mean like you know so something else that that is kind of a theme throughout as well is the nature of control right because i mean like you know uh the council did not like Jarrell because he was arguing for a world without control. Um, you know, Clark or Superman at the very end, he throws down the, the thing and he's like, you're scared of me because you can't control me. Like there's, there is a nature to the idea of what you can and cannot control. J- Jonathan is well aware of the fact that he cannot control his son. Now, granted, that's something that all father, <laughs> all parents face with their kids. Yeah. But like, that's, <laughs> that's always the case. And it's just ramped up to 11. Um, and you know, he's, he's afraid and he's trying to figure it out because ultimately he loves this boy. He loves his, he loves his son. And you know, he does, he takes the, you know, the, you know, pseudo stereotypical, you know, adopted kid move of you're not my real dad (laughs) and he takes it on the chin and he loves him and he protects him and he even dies to protect the safety of his son. And even, even so doing communicating a message to him. So I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing a complex Jonathan. And we're seeing a complex, and we're seeing a heroic, um, we're seeing a heroic Jarrell, and that's a flip of what we traditionally get. And I'm here for it, man. I think I think it really works, and um, I think in the the context of of what this movie is trying to do, I think it works brilliantly. So one of the other things I wanted to make make mention of, man, is uh, is is something that we now know through the lens of time, and I guess spoilers. And that is that you know you mentioned that that Clark's an alien, and this notion of kind of protecting that secret. We know now that he is not the only alien on Earth. Yeah. Because, of course, in fact, he's not the only alien in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, of course, uh, General uh, Swanrick is actually the Martian Manhunter. This has now been confirmed. This, I don't even think it's spoilers at this point because this has been confirmed. We all know this. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, Snyder, Snyder confirmed it. Uh, the, the question is whether or not that confirmation matters anymore, I think. Well, um, I think it, I think it's going to play into the Snyder cut of Justice League. Um, so I do th- I do think it will matter, and I think that will can, can canonize it in in a you know way. But I when I was watching this movie, I was watching it through the lens of that's Martian Manhunter. 
the entire yeah time. i i, I kind of was too i in fact i tweeted that out i was like does anybody think that Stillwell is uh or swanwick is 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 martian manhunter and uh yeah it's it was confirmed after the fact but and maybe you're right maybe maybe it will be canon canonized 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 uh in in the the um snyder cut we'll see but um yeah like that would be cool and 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 yeah like you know it does absolutely indicate that there are more than one alien on earth at this time but um I, i'm curious as to whether or not we will actually see um swanwick as martian manhunter in any point in the dceu moving yeah. forward well all right so here's what i found interesting about that though because you, you you make mention of course this this bridge of of uh of clark to humanity of, of kal-el to humanity and that sort of thing and Jarrell kind of gives a bit of a prophecy to him, right? He says, in time, you will help them accomplish wonders, the people of Earth. And he specifies the people of Earth. And I thought about that because like ultimately what this is building up to will eventually be Justice League, right? Like that's the thing. He's, he's kind of, you know, Superman represents this rallying cry for what, you know, will eventually occur in Justice League and essentially kind of pull the Justice Leaguers together. And while all those characters are like these, mythological fantastic type of characters the one thing that is true of every single one of the one or every single character in the justice league at the time of that movie because martian manhunter was not included they are all people of earth diana arthur vic barry bruce they are all people of earth now they're all you know some of them come from myth and magic and some of them come from you know sci-fi craziness but they are all people of earth and so in time, in fact, this prophecy does come true that, that Superman will help them accomplish wonders. And I thought that was really interesting to see. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a seed that was being planted that Snyder was trying to plant for the future, but I, I, I do think that there's something there. Yeah, it, I mean, Diana, she is from Earth. They are Earth gods. I, I, I think in the DC comics, the, the Greek gods are Earth gods. Uh, but she's not human, but he, he didn't say humans. He said the people of earth right she's an earthling so yeah she is an earthling um they are all earthlings uh, they might be metahumans or mother box created monstrosities uh, <laughs> but they're still exactly. they're still of earth yeah yeah because that's the thing he never says humans and i thought about that i just i thought that was really really interesting the way in which that um that kind of came together um you know all right so we mentioned already just kind of the the realism nature of it you know the existential crisis of the world kind of coming to an end and having to kind of survive that again, feels very different in 2020 than it did in 2013. There is something about like the world engine going down and all of these people trying to pull out their friends and the wreckage of the buildings that just be like, yeah, yeah, no, this makes sense. This is probably how we would handle, you know, aliens popping up and trying to destroy the planet. You know what I mean? Like this, this seems about right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I have a better perspective of what that feels like now than I did in 2013. <laughs> so I thought, you know, again, this movie really ages, ages so very, very well. Um, and, you know, I, I got to make mention of this too, uh, as kind of just the last point I, I want to uh, throw out there. Uh, this movie ends with setting up a Superman movie. Uh, this again, this kind of communicates to to the lens in which I saw it, I, and not everybody will. And this is just the way that I took it. This is really about Jarrell's movie about setting up the future of his people through his son, and it really kind of tees up a Superman movie. Uh, the very last words of the film: "Hi, Lois Lane, welcome to the planet." I love yeah. that, man. Yeah, come on, <laughs> what a great line! Like just in general, to to really tee up a Superman film. 
And, you know, that's it's a Superman film that we never got, which I think is kind of a little bit of a tragedy in and of itself. When we get to the sequel, the direct sequel to this movie, we will look at it through rose-colored glasses as well. But, I mean, I think it's fair to acknowledge that this movie tees up something that never really comes to pass. In my view, I think this is a fantastic exploration of, of a take of Jarrell's vision of what Krypton could be. I think that's what this movie is, and I think it does that brilliantly. Um, and so that's, that's, that's my thoughts on Man of Steel, and, and those are all the notes I have. But any other thoughts that you've got, Bell, that you want to throw in here? Yeah, like, you know, I, I know there's a, there's a lot of criticism that's that's hurled at this movie, and it's about the characterization of Superman. Um, things like where he kills Zod, um, him not saving Jonathan Kent, uh, th- those kinds of things. And I, I'd like to talk about those briefly for a moment. Like, when I came out of the theater watching this movie, um, one of the things that, you know, you always associate with Superman is that he is a Boy Scout, right? He is always morally correct, and he is always in the right, and he never does any wrong. Um, some might say that that's kind of boring and, and not a really good way to write a character. Um, I, 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 I like the Reeve films. I like, um, Brandon Ralph as Superman, uh, playing Christopher Reeves, um, the Christopher Reeves version of Superman. But I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to sell that as a character, right? I, I believe this version of Kal-El slash Superman slash, uh, Clark Kent is, is a really good origin as to why he would be the, the, the boy scout, right? Like he had to kill Zod, the last member of his own species to save the people of earth. And, and like coming out of the theater, like those kinds of things, uh, him, him choosing not to save his father out of his father's or, or, or Jonathan, his adoptive father, you know, out of, out of his father's wishes and, you know, him living with that decision, he could have done it. He could have gone against what his father wanted. Um, at risk of all those people seeing his abilities. And and he even mentions that to Lois. He's like, I let my father die. Um, and, and and him killing Zod and like coming out of the theater, I was, I was, I was, I, I was like, I was blown away. I was like, that's it was a bold decision to make. But what it does is it is it allows you to make a Superman in the next iteration, whatever he comes in, which at this point in time was going to be Batman v Superman. It allows you to tell the story of a of a morally superior, I guess, Superman without having to be like, why is he, why does he always make the right decisions? It's because he's made bad decisions in the past. It's because he made hard decisions in the past. And now he has, he, he's at a point as a, at, at a character at the end of man of steel where he doesn't have, or where he, he has made the choice not to, to make those decisions to, to come and uh, face every problem with the, um, the idea that I'm not going to let anyone die. I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can to, to save people or to, you know, be that, moralistic superpower kind of thing right and and so i thought that was a really neat way to sort of set that up and to make it be like here are the reasons why superman is like this it's because of these hard decisions that he made and that is how he will move forward as a character um we're not quite talking about batman v superman yet um so i'll leave that for that but as i left man of steel i thought that was a great way to really explain why superman is how he is and, and, and a great bridge to go from this new inter- interpretation of Superman to something that's more uh, comics oriented, but still keep him complex. Right. It's like he made these decisions. He did these things. And as a result of that, he wants to face challenges in a different way in the, in moving forward in the future, like um, making sure that 
there aren't anybody you know around in the area where he's fighting a bad guy drawing them away from populated areas um making every effort not to kill bad guys you know things like that like all those kinds of things they they make sense coming from the context of watching what happens in man of steel those are lessons that he learned um and so i i really did like that i know a lot of people flung a lot of hate at it but like it made the character feel real and feel more grounded and down to earth which is exactly what Zack snyder was trying to do with those films and so i i, I liked those bits i thought they were great i thought they worked and um i i you know wish they actually kind of rolled over into the next film but <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get there but uh i, I just, just just final point on that is i i thought a lot of those scenes that people didn't like with Zod uh, or, you know, Superman killing Zod and like uh, um, him not saving Jonathan. I do feel like those work in the context of this film. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a feeling that you would uh, you, you'd go there. So, yeah, no, that's um, absolutely. I mean, like, look, and, you know, the 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 fight sequences throughout, I think, are also uh, very, very well done, very well choreographed. They, they, def- they definitely show kind of a clash of gods, and I think. That oh yeah, they look super cool. Yeah, just uh, there's, there's a, there's an, it's a weird over the top realism. You know what I mean? Like it, it somehow is able to kind of walk both those lines, and it gives quite a canvas, uh, to to paint on in the future, and that's something they certainly do. All right, man. Coming up next week, Batman v Superman. So we are going to go right from uh, right from this into that. And my friend, I will be the one live tweeting that one with rose colored glasses. Uh, the challenge is real. <laughs> the challenge is real. I might have to put some beer goggles on over those rose colored glasses. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but uh, join me on Tuesday for <laughs> Bo might be a short v podcast. Batman v <laughs> Superman. No, it's going to be great, man. We're gonna we're gonna. Fi- I listen. I did not realize that I was going to walk away from man of steel, realizing that I kind of love man of steel. I had no idea that that was going to end up happening. Who knows? Who knows what Batman V super, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters since I wanted to walk out of the theater. Like this is, yeah. this is, this is great. I'm actually, I wouldn't say looking forward to this, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic. Maybe I should just, shouldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always I've always felt that uh, I've always had a high opinion of, of Man of Steel though. Like that was that was one of the mm. uh, one of the movies of the DCEU that I've always held in high esteem. Uh, as other movies like Wonder Woman and um, uh, Shazam and a couple other movies came out, mm. um, it, it sort of pushed it down in the list. But I think of the ones that we had at the very beginning, I thought Man of Steel was definitely the best. Okay, um, all right. No, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I really am. August fourth, it'll, it'll be great. So join in on the live tweeting at seven p.m. Central Time tomorrow or Tuesday rather. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll be using the hashtag release the rose colored cut, uh, sharing my thoughts as I, I uh, watch that. The tweets, by the way, will also be rose colored as well. So that is, uh, <laughs> that, if, if it's a silent Twitter <laughs> handle, then you're, that's your indication. It'll be a short podcast, but I have faith in us, man. I think we're going to be able to pull this off. Um, I would love to say, join us the following Wednesday for the live podcast. But to be honest with you, uh, we have had so many technical difficulties uh, recording this particular episode. And in fact, if things sound a little bit off this week, that is that is why. Um, hopefully, we'll get this all worked out. I'm, you know, uh, we've been enjoying doing the the flashcraft uh, videos and and live streams and that sort of thing. I think the problem is I'm trying to make the same system work for two very different situations. And uh, yeah, that's that's clearly just not working. So I've got to I'm gonna have to figure that one out. But uh, in the interim. Uh, if we do go live, we will be live on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time. 
with our rose-colored retrospective review of Batman v Superman. Should be a great one. Hey, keep up with us throughout the week at Flash TV Talk and all that kind of great stuff. We're not going to go into all that. One thing I did want to mention, and I probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show, uh, so I do I do kind of regret not um, uh, mentioning up there, but we have had a lot of people ask uh, about the our 90s retrospective on The Flash. That's something that we... Uh, made mention of that we'd like to do for the summer. Uh, we would still love to do that. And if you want to see that happen, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash TV talk uh, and by supporting this podcast. We have that as a, a specific goal that we are trying to reach. And with your support, we can make that happen. So after the uh, rose colored retrospectives, if you would like us to see, uh, if you would like to see us do a uh, retrospective on the flash nineties television series, uh, then head over there again. That is patreon.com slash TV talk. Uh, a lot of great benefits, access to our Discord, and, and all kind of great stuff going on as well. Uh, so again, one last time, patreon.com slash tvtalk. Help us make that Earth 90s Flash TV Talk series happen there. I think that's going to do it for us for this week. So for me, for Belle, for Belle's mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> have a super week. By the way, uh, you mentioned Lois Lane. Did you know that the Nikon D3S is uh, you can buy it used for eight hundred bucks on Amazon? Wow, it's still eight hundred bucks. The Nikon D3S is eight hundred bucks on Amazon. Just wanted to kind of throw that in there. Just you know, just wanted to, just wanted to say that. Not sure why that was top of mind, but I just wanted to put that up there. I mean, that's the camera that she uses. Oh, is it? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, or yeah, well, is it product placement? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm confused. At this tangent. Where are you going with this? <laughs> It is, it is. I've got a couple more that I'm going to sprinkle throughout. <laughs> so, is, this, okay. it, is this like a, you know, someone please buy me a Nikon <laughs> camera? No, 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 no. It's just, all right, all right, all right. But I was going to make a, a mention of the D, Nikon D3S uh, availability as well as um, this amazing deal at IHOP that you can get for the two for two for two combo for four ninety nine on Monday the <laughs> And Sears, man, what's Sears doing these days? Anyway, Seven Eleven, Seven Eleven, you know, is, yeah. uh, that featured you know, in no, there. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that in a rose-colored retrospective. So I apologize, Mike. Put it at the end of the thing as a as a. <laughs> 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 as a I mean, you know, it's it's. I, I think it is worth talking about. It's it's something that you will you will continue to see in movies because it helps you know offset the, the budget of these films yeah you're right, you're right. i mean yeah. well it, it depends it depends like i like for example i hopped and sears and whatever like they maybe maybe with the nikon like every time they show the nikon they're showing off features of the nikon which is a little bit weird but like i just they show showed them. off that logo several times but again like, yeah well well this will be at the end of the thing If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.